This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott, who is right now for the first part of the show, none other than Coach Hogg, as we do customarily on a Monday morning. And uh, we talk a little bit about some of the athletic events, and I try to give you a little different perspective on what you may be seeing or hearing on the street, as we say. Uh, we're in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in the Warthog Manly Command Center, and uh, we are uh, in God's country. And it's promising to be a pretty nice day, although we have a high pollen alert, which is driving quite a few people nuts uh, because they just can't seem to get their throat cleared or their uh, all the above um, taken care of. And so um, that's the way it is when you've got a lot of pine, you have a lot of pollen and when you have a lot of oak, you have a lot of pollen. And I think we've moved into the oak pollen part of it all. But um, spring has sprung, as we know, and we are here on this daylight savings time. I don't know how we save daylight. We just move it around, I guess, from one part of the day to the other. It's really another one of those misleading narratives that we all have to succumb to now and then. Mellon um, Law Hotline here, 352-325-3938. If you want to text me and I'll see it. Do not text me on my private number because I don't see those. Um, if you want to communicate with me off the Facebook uh, kind of public conversation here, text text me on the 352-325-3938. Uh, that one uh, I'll see just myself and I'll see it right away to come across my screen. But a couple of you have texted me at my uh, uh, 339 number, and I just don't see it till after the show. So um, one of the interesting things, of course, that is uh, uh, this thing called March Madness. And I reported earlier to you that March Madness has now been applied as well to the women's Final Four for the first time. For the longest time, you know, um, the whole idea of women being frail kind of prevailed in athletics, and we've reached the other end of the continuum now, so much so that I've titled today's show, What's a Woman? Because once upon a time, it was, um, you know, the old saying, look down and see what you got. Uh, and more importantly, for the medical world, it's what biologically is on your birth certificate. Um, but now because of political uh, invention of rewriting of terminology and all that business, we now have even this question asked of a Supreme Court nominee. So uh, we'll cover that a little bit. Uh, but anyway, the final four for the women, which is really a very exciting uh, uh, c contest. You know, once upon a time, the women stopped at the half court line. There were defensive women and offensive women and defense girls gave it to the offense and neither could cross the line because it was just considered too arduous for the women to one, run the full length of the court. Well, now we have women dunking and we have women who are uh, really female Shaquille O'Neal's practically. And um, they, they are really dominating the sport and making it as exciting as every sport elsewhere that is uh, been elevated to uh, parity, if you will, among the sexes, which is true parity in my regard. In my de definition, women's sports are women's sports. And um, we're not talking about sexual preference of the women. We're talking about the actual biological definition of what is a woman. Uh, so we have some pretty darn good games coming up. Uh, it looks as if uh, South Carolina and Stanford, Stanford are going to square off. That should be a tremendous game in the women's final four, uh, Connecticut and North Carolina State. Is, up, is going to be played today, and that's going to be uh, a perennial struggle. And it's very interesting, and it's very competitive, and it's well worth watching if you like to see exciting, fast-paced stuff with a lot of strategy and a lot of, of athleticism involved in it. 
of course, the final four for the men uh, will be Villanova versus Kansas and Duke versus North Carolina. Once again, we're down to the ACC uh, with Duke and North Carolina, and they've been going back and forth at it for quite some time. That should be really quite an interesting battle, and uh, it will be, uh, um, you know, a kind of a, a benchmark because the Duke coach will be retiring supposedly after this. Um, so that will be April the 2nd, uh, 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 if I have my dates right here. So um, the um, uh, Final Four is uh, pretty much set for the women and the men. So and on the local scene, uh, baseball, which I call boar ball, I uh, went to both baseball and softball here yesterday. And indeed, um, I, I, I stick to my personal opinion, which is baseball is boring to me. I played it. I was a pitcher. I, I think the reason I liked pitching is because I was constantly active. Uh, I didn't sit around with my legs crossed in the outfield uh, waiting to get, uh, you know, a jump on an occasional ball my way. Um, you know, I didn't have to thankfully play that. Um, could have played first base being a left-hander, but, you know, I was one of those guys who they used to pitch. Um, I was known as a junk pitcher. I could, you know, really throw a tremendous curveball. And um, we had a, we had a fellow who was our kind of our fastball pitcher. That was his acumen. And then we had, of course, another guy who was kind of in the middle. So we had, you know, in high school, I had three or four pitchers. And then um, and that, that was really about the only way I could endure the game was to be involved all the time. Otherwise, I would have probably, uh, I don't know, done something else. But um, anyway, uh, I, I saw something yesterday. I, I'm told by some of the people who follow based on data, which is really baseball is loaded with data, uh, that LSU men's team, baseball team, holds the record in the country or is leading the country anyway in players hit by balls, by pitches. And I got to say, if that's the case, and I don't, I haven't documented and researched to see if that is actually the case. I saw, I, I think seven uh, LSU batters hit yesterday by Florida pitchers. Um, I, I lost count on the elevator and the steps and all that when people are going down after the game, I asked some of the guys who go all the time what they saw, and they said it was seven uh, LSU batters hit by Florida pitchers. One of them really almost led to the bench-clearing brawl, which I think I love that. I think that's one of the exciting things about board ball is there's a two or three plays that are exciting about board ball. Uh, one is the, uh, the home plate collision, um, and then, of course, is the bench-clearing brawl. Uh, so the, the ump had to actually run down um, the baseline at one point yesterday to keep separated that struck LSU batter from the uh, striker pitcher. So they glared at each other as they went down the line and the ump sensed there could have been the initiation of what might have resulted in a bench-clearing brawl. So it didn't happen, and um, the guy went to first, and I think shortly thereafter uh, we pegged another guy. So uh, anyway, it was embarrassing, uh, 11 to 2 or something like that. I don't know what's going on with those guys. Um, some of them are indeed thrown in the 90s, but, you know, that used to be something really remarkable. But we got tennis players, get this now, uh, right on top of each other, hitting ground strokes over 100 miles an hour with tremendous spin on it, popping up off the, uh, uh, the court, uh, the hardest struck ball right now is by far uh, either the serve in tennis, which is 140 miles an hour or so, uh, and a great one, at least 130. And, and then, of course, uh, uh, the forehand, which is a tremendous weapon in the hands of these young guys who have really learned how to do what the old-fashioned game wouldn't allow you to do, and that's use your wrist. In the Jack Kramer days, you kept that wrist locked, and the stroke really originated from the shoulder. Uh, but now it's really a whipping action, and that wrist is involved. And boy, that, along with the new rackets and the new string, sends that ball over 100 miles an hour to the opponent. So um, those things are exciting. I mean, if you see a great pitcher who can control the game, obviously that's something probably special in athletics. Um, 
So, um, you know, I harken back to the days of Herb Score and those guys. So uh, I always paid attention to the lefties. But, um, you know, it's, it's um, more exciting, I think. I went over after it was clear that the baseball had been pounded to the softball. And all of a sudden, I realized I like the softball a lot better. You're right in there. There's a lot of strategy. Uh, there's some quicker. Uh, the pitches are, if you've got, and Florida doesn't have them this year. Florida doesn't have the, the pitcher that if you have one pitcher, uh, you can pretty much take it all. Um, back in our softball playing days in our country leagues, when I was growing up as a kid, there was always one pitcher that we went after and we paid him because he was so good and he was a lefty. And whoever got him on their softball team won because nobody could hit him. And uh, so we always, I've forgotten his last name, but man, I can still see him now. What a pitcher. And he was a left-handed pitcher and he, he just absolutely overwhelmed or buffaloed a batter after batter after batter. And that was in our old country leagues uh, back in, the, in my growing up days. And uh, we always wanted to get lefty on there. We had some guys who could throw it pretty sting, you know, stingy with it, but they just didn't have the, the wind up, hiding the ball and all that that lefty could do. So now, I don't know, Florida doesn't really have the dazzling pitcher. And, uh, uh, you know, they did manage to softball win yesterday by finally changing pitchers and some good hitting by some people who should have been doing a little more hitting earlier on. But it was a very exciting game. I mean, it was, uh, it was um, a lot of stuff going on there. Of course, the toughest play out there right now maybe be the high a ball out to the field because of the sun and a couple of the Tennessee girls collisioned each other out there um, doing the almost inevitable thing. You see the confusion behind the infield uh, guy going backwards and out and the outfield guy coming in. Uh, and then not hearing each other declare who's got it, and you have a collision. So uh, we had one of those yesterday, pretty dramatic ones too. It was a questionable whether one of the uh, players would get up off the deck because she'd literally been run over uh, as she came in by the backpedaling uh, shortstop who was going out in the left fielder. She was the left fielder. So there was a big collision there. Um, so anyway, if you ever catch a chance or have a chance to, uh, watch the ladies softball I'd recommend it it's uh, exciting uh, probably not the quality of players that have been here before in all the positions especially pitching but uh, maybe enough to keep them sort of competitive and in the hunt um, so that's that's something that uh, you might want to uh, uh, consider as you uh, as you uh, uh, think what to do with yourself in the spring of course, the greatest collection of athletes get probably the least attention uh, 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 is the uh, University of Florida track team. Now, we've got some people there who are perennial winners of national awards, league awards, and these people can fly. And what's become even more uh, interesting in many of the uh, venues is to uh, set your eyes and gaze upon the great female pole vaulters. Um, Pole vaulting, first of all, always was so impressive to me. The, the guys who were pole vaulting as I was out there on the track were fast. They had to have speed going down the runway. They had to have power to ride that pole up and flip at the top. Uh, they had to be very athletic, almost gymnast, and yet be very, very fast. Because a lot of that spring off that pole was generated by the speed down the runway. And um, that was very dramatic. Uh, event. So keep your eye on that if you ever go out to the track to watch. We have something that's going on, I think, that is uh, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, if you, I've never thought about it, but, you know, as it is, um, you know, who, who would have thunk it, uh, but it, it, it's coming along, is, um, <laughs> it's, it's, I gotta think about this now. Um, it is the, uh, uh, you know, well, let's put it this way. I'm sure you've all been to, or if you haven't, you probably should have at some point in your life, gone to a Daytona 500 or something of that nature. And uh, one of the, or even, a, I, I'll say even the Indianapolis 500. Uh, but uh, one of the most exciting things, of course, in those races is the, the, um, 
the announcer saying, uh, gentlemen, start your engines. And uh, uh, that, that thing is really quite dramatic because when they start those big, uh, uh, those compressions and when they start those uh, 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 big, big uh, uh, cubic inch machines, it, it makes your, I mean, it, it affects your whole stomach and your heart and everything because of the power of those things all coming together and rumbling all at once together. It's, uh, it, it's really something. Uh, but now, think of this. I had never thought of this, and I ran across this in the Western Journal. And I thought, well, I'll just put that in Coach Hogg's locker room today because it's, it's interesting. What if we did away with that monster beginning, gentlemen, start your engines, and that uh, rumble of, uh, of all that horsepower and, uh, and uh, compression and, and uh, uh, yet to be unleashed uh, energy. What if we had 500 laps, are you ready for this, of dead silence? Do you know what we're talking about in the Western Journal? I swear, I had not thought of this. All this move to electric cars. Huh? Think about it. Do you think there'll ever come a day when we become so obsessed? Now, you know, the, the motor car racing industry is the biggest sport in the, in, in the country. I mean, it's fans outnumber all the other. I'm told this, you know, by a lot of different sources that motor car racing is by far the biggest spectator sport. And if you think about that, the Daytona 500, the Indianapolis 500, all these other races too, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure they're right. And then the sponsors on these cars and on the uniforms of these racers, they're always got something to do with the internal combustion engine uh, and oil, as we say in the country, or oil. And, um, but what if, uh, what if, and I guess we got to have a what if here, uh, are we going to have, and they're exploring this already, are we going to have an all electric series of stock car racing? Huh? Because we know there's this huge obsession now with these electric cars. And NASCAR says right away it's got no set timeline toward going fully electric, but they may even, and I don't know how this would work, run electric cars in the same race as the internal combustion cars. <laughs> I guarantee you, if one of those electric cars beat one of those internal combustion cars, that'd be, that'd be hello goodbye. I mean, all of a sudden there'd be a rush to get, because it's all been about, really, hasn't it? I mean, about muscles and the so-called muscle car and, and, you know, you know, the macho thing. I, I, I was a tremendous admirer of the female we had in racing uh, who was uh, in the NAPS 500. I was always pulling for her, but there was always this idea that, you know, the women will never be strong enough and have enough endurance to race with the men in these long challenging races. And it takes a lot of courage, bumper to bumper, this type of thing. So, um, um, what if you went to a race, this is all speculation, a Western Journal has written about, what if you went to a NASCAR event and there were all kinds of technologies there? Uh, so uh, what, what would we do, though? The big issue is what would we do without the noise? You see, this is the question for you all. Isn't the noise an integral part of the race? I mean, I guess. You know, I don't think it'd be very exciting if we had an electric race. I mean, what would you what would you do? Uh, and of course, Ray is saying, how would you recharge them? I don't know. It's assumption that there'd be a recharging stations just as there are. You know, they fill them up with the gas and away they go in a few seconds. So uh, I don't know. Um, the um, uh, Formula One racing world already has some interest in it. And uh, uh, Formula E takes place on small claustrophobic circuits, are called. 
in major metropolitan areas. And uh, they are cars, those cars are slower and the races would be more boring. Uh, we're down to boring boredom now. I have to say I would be bored. I think I would be bored at an electric uh, car race. I, I, you know, well, I've done, listen, I've done the bumper cars, which I always enjoy. I enjoy the bumper cars. I, I enjoy smashing into somebody. It was always one of my favorite things to do at the far or whatever you want to call it, the circus or whatever, is go jump in those bumper cars and smash somebody. And that was electric. I mean, but that's just a bumper car. So uh, the other thing I used to like was a motorcycle rider inside the cylinder that would ride so fast he could actually suspend that motorcycle himself horizontal in the cylinder. So I used to like that. Those guys always fascinated me. Um, but um, uh, part of the, part of the, even part of the, I'm, I'm learning this from the Western Journal article, is part of the attraction uh, about the noise has uh, to the motor car racing industry has been recognized by the industry and even made the noise louder. Now, when I was a kid, we drag raced. I have to admit, I drag raced. Okay. And we had seen Rebel Without a Cause, and, and um, James Dean was our hero, and he was racing in a 49 Mercury, which was a pretty neat car. Um, we were racing 55 Chevys. Uh, we were racing them against Fords, and then, of course, along came the six-cylinder Corvette, and then along came the Thunderbird. And so we were racing on the streets, and we all had cutouts. Um, we could... At the race, we could bypass the, the mufflers and we could open up the cutouts. And man, it was just straight noise coming out of the pipes. And uh, of course, we'd go out to some part of town where, you know, the cops would take a long time for them to get there and, and away we'd go. Um, so it was all part of the macho adolescence world. And, and I can remember when my father discovered I had cutouts on the car. He really flipped out. Um, you know, that was, I mean, he couldn't believe it that I was, uh, you know, because we had a 57 V8 and, uh, uh, you know, it was a fast, big engine car, 283 cubic inches, I believe, and uh, which was quite a bit. If you got over 300, you really had a powerhouse. So uh, Chrysler was the first one to have 300 horsepower. So, you know, that was that was part of my rebellious youth, I guess. But uh, we may also have a hybrid system for those of you who are sort of purists, um, uh, they're not going to just be able to just do away with the internal combustion engine uh, overnight. It's going to be around for quite a while. And one of the things that interested me about this article about racing was that it's probably a pretty darn good benchmark of how long we're going to have internal combustion engines on the road. You're not going to just do away with them. Uh, it's not going to just happen overnight in spite of old sleepy Joe Biden's uh, you know, push to appease the progressive left. It's just not going to happen. So um, one of the basic things that is, has been measured, you know, everything's data, has been measured by the racing industry is the fans are attracted to the noise. And uh, therefore, you're probably very unlikely, according to the journal's analysis anyway, Western Journal, that you'll see anytime soon 500 laps of dead silence. Um, it is, uh, it is not something that appeals to our, our gutty works, our, our intestinal, uh, uh, machinery that replies instantly to the gentleman, start your engine, gentleman and lady, as it once was start your engines. And maybe now gentlemen and ladies or ladies and gentlemen, however they do it now. But, uh, um, I, I, I can remember watching being there for fireball Roberts and these people, um, that's how far back to the Daytona 500. I, I didn't ever see it on the beach, but I know that the Chrysler 300 horsepower engine was the thing that made it uh, special when first got the press interested in what was going on on the Daytona beach uh, with racing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a little bit different slant on Coach Hogg's locker room, but when you take into effect that it is the biggest uh, – crowd-pleasing event uh, right now uh, that you'll come across. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you maybe I'll appreciate why I put it in there a little bit more. 
The other thing I've been watching, of course, in today's show is titled What's a Woman? Um, we have got some rule changes. Of course, the Republican states have put their foot down. Uh, Utah just overrode a governor's veto, uh, for example, and said, no, we're going to not allow uh, these biological males to compete against uh, 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 biological females. We don't care what the deal is on fluidity and all that business. It's not going to happen. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this. I really wasn't aware of it. So I'm going to share it with you in today's Coach Hogg's locker room. Uh, probably you've seen the last of the Leah Thomases uh, uh, in uh, the women competing against women. For the, for the, because as I understand it, and this is in the Wall Street Journal, the NCAA has, has uh, finally uh, assessed this and decided that evidence that the prior physical development of the athlete as a male as mitigated by any medical intervention does not give the athlete a competitive advantage over the athletes since gender female competitors. And so they want to make sure that they don't have that. Uh, the uh, decision is going to be based on the concentration of testosterone in an athlete's serum. And it's got to fall uh, below a certain threshold uh, to be naturally occurring. It's got to be continuously low for a period of at least 36 months before that athlete can compete. So it's all based on chemicals, is it not? Testosterone. So it, the, the, if you, they're going to have to uh, test uh, for 36 months before the event a, a low testosterone level that would uh, uh, make uh, hormonally anyway of them uh, more uh, uh, competitive on a, on a level, more level playing field. Now, I, don't, I still personally don't think that's enough. I think you ought to go back to the biological uh, birth certificate. But at any rate, by setting out this time limit, um, it triples the time required for any transition that Aaliyah Thomas might be going through. So it makes it almost impossible for a swimmer to begin hormone therapy after arriving at college and then begin to compete at college. And it also makes it highly unlikely that a high school swimmer could be transitioning without a major impact to uh, its recruitment. So, um, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. It's, it's obviously one of those hot, hot items. And um, uh, it, it could be the it could be the end of this transgender issue. And if, it, if they attack it by putting a time limit on when and what the testosterone level should be. I think um, I got one funny thing I want to end with. If production's back there, I'm not able to see production. Yeah, you there, sir? Yeah, I like to run, if you can, please. Let's run the cheerleader getting the ball off the backboard. Can we do that? I'm going to give you one second. I ran across this. It's kind of funny. Uh, and I just thought, what the heck? Well, uh, I sent it to him and I didn't cue him up that I might be asking him to take a look at it. But uh, I think it's funny. I've seen. Have you, have you got it? Well, what we'll do, let's take a break. And I'll, I, I sent it to you. I sent it to you. I'm pretty sure. But if not, I'll send it to you again. When we come back out of the break, let's open up with the cheerleader getting the, uh, the basket off, the ball off the backboard. Um, if you, if you, have you not found it yet? We'll talk, on, we'll talk. We'll talk during the break. Okay. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, Thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
if your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Much schnell. That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. No, don't. Help me! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We found our little uh, funny little ditty here. We'll show it to you. I've seen, you know, you've seen players jump up and uh, dislodge the ball from being stuck uh, between the rim and the backboard. But this ball uh, got stuck up the top of the backboard, and no player can yet, anyway apparently jump and reach the top of the backboard. So don't worry. Don't worry. You know, when the cheerleaders are around, they'll take over. Can we run that? Let's get it. Yes. Get the cheerleader up. Get her up there. This is how you do it. <laughs> Give her the mob. No, she's got it. Oh, what a play. The cheerleader saves the day. And that's her one shining moment. This place is on its feet. Let's get it. Yes, get the cheerleader up. Get her up there. This is how you do it. Give her the mob. No, she's got it. Oh, what a play. The cheerleader saves the day. And that's her one shining moment. This place is on its feet. <laughs> All right. I just wanted you to see that. That, that. that was really something I thought. I've never seen anything like that. And it was uh, definitely, uh, you know, creativity at its finest. So i uh, going to go over here to some local things that are, that are going on. Don't, do not uh, uh, miss this article about the uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement uh, commissioner deciding to resign. It's a resignation. It's not really a retirement. He calls it a retirement. Um, but what's happened is this guy has been running, Rick Swearingen has running the agency for 40 years, been in the agency for 40 years, and has, has commanded it for eight years. This is out of the Miami uh, Herald. And um, he's been there 38 years. Now, what was the thing behind him, and this is our opinion and our interpretation since we're involved with these investigations, um, DeSantis has wanted to take control of investigations more closely because I can tell you that we've had experience with FDLE and we've had experience with the state attorney on this election B, which we've been looking into. And we initially, when we got the evidence, which is really indisputable, um, we we took it to uh, um, we took it to uh, the state attorney, and state attorney kicked it over to the sheriff, and the sheriff sent it to FDLE, and the FDLE took I don't know an excruciatingly long period of time to find what was very easy. Defined, we'd already found it, but be that as it may, you know, the wheels of justice creak slowly. And, and then the FDLE came back with my understanding that what we sent them were indeed chargeable offenses and took it back to the state attorney, where the state attorney has deprioritized it and is sitting on it and hasn't done anything with it and has publicly said, as I understand it, that it's not a very big deal to me. Well, so be it. The governor has heard this. Believe me, the government governor has heard this. And the irony is we have a Republican state attorney. Isn't that interesting? So the governor has decided I need to have an elections commission 
and I need to have control over the pace and the intensity with which these things are looked into. And so he's established a selection commission. And obviously, it seems to us, the commander of the FDLE got the word. And of course, the other important thing this does is it cuts out Nikki Freed Fried Frazzle from having any say-so in it. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it has a history to it. Um, the uh, department under this fellow has had uh, several controversies. Um, it has uh, made the unusual decision not to investigate criminal allegations against Patronus. Uh, that was a uh, conflict of interest, they said. Um, some other things they didn't handle according to uh, pace or need, apparently. And so um, the governor, DeSantis, pushed for more control over the agency and believes all along that the executive branch should have more power because, after all, the head of this Florida Department of Law Enforcement is the governor. So, um, um, he, you know, he doesn't believe uh, that it should be splintered up and um, um, that, that, the, that the FDLE should be accountable to a particular person, not a cabinet. So that's as I understand it. So that's in the Miami Herald. And I believe it's a response to the general indifference that we have found as we have tried, you know, you can extrapolate this and take it out to the national consequences of this, you know, being done all through the country with election B. And so um, we take um, interest in this and that we've had a lot of trouble getting this local state attorney to do anything. Uh, we have found it really in dealing with the supervisors of elections across the state, not to mention the local one, uh, uh, which I just did, of course, that uh, they have been reluctant to accept the fact that this could be possible on their watch, and yet we give them the documentation, and oh my golly, all of a sudden they realize that not only is it possible, but it's happened. And then you see that we have political pick up our story, we have Newsmax pick up our story, and now we have Breitbart pick up our story. So, and the last time we checked, there were about 600 comments on the Breitbart story about this. And so people obviously have an interest in it. It obviously want to know what the truth is. And yet, if you can't get the truth through the institutions that are supposed to be there to help provide the truth and document the truth, then how do you do it? Particularly if the media is all part of it and won't write the narrative and covers, say, for a Hunter Biden or whatever. Uh, you know, how do you get it out there? And so... It's interesting that this is might be off your radar screen here, what's happened, but it's a very important move. It's a very important way in which uh, the FDLE is going to now be uh, uh, set up in relationship to the governor. The other thing that's local that's interesting is the mayor's race, which is no doubt going to heat up even more. Um, and... Uh, that is going to be, uh, uh, um, well, with Bilarski, and it's going to be getting a little more attention probably than it normally would, because Bilarski is mad at how he's been treated, and he's now come out from underneath the rock that he's been under because he's always been afraid he would be fired uh, by the city commission, and eventually his fear materialized itself. And so he uh, has decided to come back and try to be the mayor, and he knows where all the skeletons are, I promise you. And a little David Areola is um, really, the thing I always remember about him is Jim Connish was running against him and, and sued to find out if Derry, David Areola actually lived in the district he would have to live in in order to represent that district on the city commission, as I remember the story, I'm quoting this from memory. And I remember reading through the deposition and being struck by the fact that little David Areola had marbles in his mouth when it came to being giving a straight answer about where he resided. Um, 
if you go back and look at that deposition, I don't know if we have it posted on Forgotten on Ward's uh, Hot Bulletin Board or not. We may have it out there. And if we do, I'll probably myself, my own self, go back and take a look at it. But the thing that struck me about it was how he was evasive about where uh, he had resided. You know, he had maybe a, put his head on a pillow here at a girlfriend's or over here at his mother. I, it was just bounced around all over the place. And um, that was my impression anyway, as I recall it. And I've, ever since then, I haven't believed a word the kid said. So he now is trying to act like he's the super advocate for the immigrant. There's something called the Gainesville. This is only, of course, in Gainesville would you have this happen. Gainesville immigrant neighbor inclusion uh, 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 initiative, which is a language access program. Uh, and the city plans to uh, make accommodations for Spanish, Chinese, Mandarin, Vietnamese, Portuguese, Haitian, Creole. Let me stop for a minute and talk about language. And the best place you can see this is by comparing a couple of tribal uses of language. Uh, France. Let's just talk about France. And let's talk about Montreal or Mont Royal. Montreal has, and of course, Quebec would be another example, but I've been a personal experience in Montreal. And I took French in college. I understand French, uh, speak a little bit of it. Um, so in Montreal, the big hotel there when I was last there was called, for the English, Elizabeth, the Hotel Elizabeth. And for the French, it was called Reine Elizabeth. And you could be on the street uh, looking at somebody who was also quite Caucasian. And you'd be talking to that person who, now we're not talking about, you know, an Asian or uh the Negro or the black, the Negro is the actual DNA pool and the Asian. Uh, and of course, these sub subcategories break down as do Caucasians. But um, so you could have two Caucasians looking at each other on a street in Mount Royal or Montreal. And the English person could speak to the other Caucasian and that person would not answer. And you think, geez, is this person deaf? You know? And what you realize after a while is that person is French. And that person is French and is not going to answer you in English. That person is going to wait for you to use French. And the reason the French feel so strongly about this is that if they lose their language, they lose their identity. They lose being French because French, the nation is French, the language. English is England. England, populated, circumnavigated because of its fantastic naval expertise, the world, and took that language to every recessive, out of the way or in the way place in the world. So the English is all over the world. And you can thank uh, Queen Elizabeth, the first one, for sponsoring those seafaring explorers. And they dominated the seas. And therefore, England became the greatest empire on the earth. And the language took seed everywhere. So, except in Canada, where the French had an influence. And the French are not going to give up their influence. They're not going to give up their language. This is a realization. Take a native, so-called Native Americans. If it had not been for the Navajo code talkers, we might not have done as well as we ended up doing against the Japanese because the Navajo code talkers were employed by the, we, the English speaking people, because the English speaking people, the language had been learned by the Japanese and they would intercept our communications and we'd be speaking in English and they would be able to understand it. So I haven't researched who came up with a great idea, but we put the Navajo Indian language in our communication systems. And we did all our code talking in what's called the Navajo code talkers. And the Japanese didn't know what in the world 
was being said. Well, the Navajos, thankfully, had never lost their language because if they lost their language, they lost their identity as Navajos. So here we are in this screwy city of Gainesville, a screwy city, willing to give up our, listen, this is an English speaking town. I mean, I respect Spanish. My wife speaks Spanish and Arabic. Uh, I understand all that. But you speak Spanish in Spanish speaking countries. You speak English here or you lose your identity as a country, which many people who are anti-colonialists and are convinced that the white people are evil would be more than happy to do. They'd like to give it away to somebody else and they can do it now through this language. Inclusion. Because you have nothing. Don't you know your Bible? Don't you know the Tower of Babel? Don't you know that? You will have Babel here. Just absolute chaos and confusion. So Areola is over here, whiny mouth saying, well, I'm all sensitive to this because, you know, I've got people who came here as immigrants and oh, they just had to work like heck to learn. No kidding. No kidding. It's not necessarily easy to learn a language. And I keep telling these some of these international people whom I know through Dance Alive and they don't listen to me. And I know it through being a, a, a professor. If you want to learn language, you don't leave the classroom and go speak your particular language. In the, in the military language schools, I have a friend who went to the Russian language school because he became a CIA operative. And he told me that when he entered the Russian, United States Russian language school, it was the last thing he ever heard, saw, read, or wrote again in English. The toothpaste was in Russian. The everything, everything, because it pushed him to realize, I can't go back and forth. Not if I'm going to be able to speak Russian, write Russian so well that people will think I'm actually Russian. That was the expectation of the language school is when you come out and so you don't go back in and out of your own language. You don't have any accommodations in the military language schools for your own language. If you're going into the uh, business of uh, assimilating into a, a culture, you've got to learn its language or you won't get into that culture. And if you want that, that culture to change its language to accommodate you, then that culture will lose its identity. This is just crazy. This is just crazy. But, you know, we've got crazy people running the city of Gainesville. Uh, it, it's just nuts. I, I wanted to put that in there because uh, there's, a, there's a hidden issue in that little deal, and you need to be aware of it, and it's a pretty big one. Um, so uh, the uh, uh, it's not going to change. I mean, that's the nature of the city games. Well, they, they they just absolutely are ed up with. I I, I, I don't want to say it on the air, but they're ed up with it. Well, we all know, do we not, that Uncle Joe is dangerous. Okay. Uh, he went off the cuff, and God knows that's always the danger that he's going to ad lib and go off the cuff. And he did, and he said off the cuff, off script, so to speak. God knows you let him go off script, and there's no telling what the goofball is going to say that Putin ought to be taken out of power. 
Well, all of a sudden, then the White House had to back paddle and, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, everybody think, oh, he didn't really mean that or he didn't really say that or, uh, you know, we can't, you know, that's scary. He shouldn't have said that. But the point is, the guy is is a loose, loose wire. I mean, you, you just you, you just don't know what he's going to he does. I don't think he knows what he says. I don't think he knows what he's going to say. Um, but but, uh, it, you know, you can't you can't. Uh, you can't uh, um, um, you can't rein him in. I mean, he's the president we have. And I was researching this a little bit, and I, you know, it's just reminded me of some things. Here's what we got to accept. We're stuck with this guy for the next three years. And we don't want Harris. Harris was put in to appease identity politics to unite the Democrat Party in the election campaign when she was just as she didn't like Biden any better than anybody else did. She criticized him, if you remember. But that's how unprincipled these politicians are. So we now have to accept, do we not, that we're fated to have this guy as our president. You know, all the January 6th stuff and all that stuff, you know, it's not going to undo this guy as president. That, that water is under the bridge, okay? And we don't want Harris. Can you imagine Harris trying to talk, bow up, represent this nation in the issues we have right now in Europe? I mean, it, it is an absolute nightmare. Now, what an analysis in the journal recommends, and I don't think it's going to happen, is that Biden start to build support for whatever his position is, because you can't tell if he goes off, the, uh, goes off the script, to get some people in there who are really, truly diverse, some of whom are hawks, some of whom have really tremendous military experience and won't kowtow and tell him what he wants to hear. Um, the article points out that Jimmy Carter had Zygmunt Brzezinski, um, and, you know, and he was there to guard uh, against the Soviets' exploitation of Carter's weaknesses, which were filled, you know, all over the place. Um, FDR, as pointed out, had Sarah, Harry Stimson as the Secretary of War, and a guy named Frank Knox as Secretary of the Navy. And they were able to build for FDR a support on Capitol Hill when real hard choices came. Um, right now, that's not happening. All this talk about diversity and inclusion, and there's no diversity and inclusion on the people giving advice to Biden about Russia. And we certainly don't want Harris involved. And the Russian problem, so-called Russian problem, is not going to go away. So the muscular language, the so-called muscular language from Biden, doesn't mean a thing unless he has truly diversified his cabinet advisors and included in them True hardline people who've been around this type of issue for a long time, and you will not be weak kneed by the progressive left or compromised by any of the crazy cul de sac asides like climate change and all that business, but keep our eyes focused on the road. Um, this is going to be called a new term I'm learning is diplomatic realism, and I don't know if Biden's going to be able to do it. It's really kind of it's really kind of touch and go and scary when you think about it. If you got Uncle Joe who is absolutely incapable of being trusted to talk on his own, who could at any moment go off the script and put his foot in his mouth, if you get that on the one hand, and then if you go on the other hand, you've got Harris, uh, you've got, you know, Western policy as we call it just in an absolute upheaval. 
Nobody has a clue what is going on. Um, meanwhile, uh, we have a, uh, a, 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 a person up here for Supreme Court. You know, I, mean, I, I, don't know, I want to kind of conclude with talking about her because uh, let me just find uh, this is the most interesting article I have found about her. And it's not about her. It's about the money behind her. Uh, there's something called, let me make sure I have the term right here. Well, it's called a dark money, but the actual dark money behind her is uh, uh, coming in from uh, uh, an, an organization uh, that uh, has been around for quite a while supporting uh, the left uh, uh, people being considered for whatever. It's a uh, uh, it's an outfit known as People for the American Way. You've probably never heard it of it. People for the American Way. It is an activist group uh, that spent one point five million dollars, for example, attacking Robert Bork. Uh, this uh, term that they did it with this money is called dark money. Um, that term only came into existence about 12 years ago um, when it became uh, uh, became aware that there were citizen groups uh, putting together these um, movements behind the scene to, to uh, uh, go after issues of what, among which is court packing and uh, campaigns against Trump's nominees. And uh, this Jen Pazaki, whom we used, we sometimes put up here uh, as a James Bond fantasy. She's a former communications consultant to this group. Um, it is uh, uh, just this month, according to Strassel, uh, this organization spent a million dollars in ad campaigns for Jackson. Um, the um, this is a fund which this, the Atlantic magazine, which is very liberal, calls 1630 fund. And the, the 1630 fund is the indisputable heavyweight of Democrat dark money. Uh, the 1630 fund doled out $410 million in dark funding in 2020 alone. Um, so uh, the, the fund was seeded by all sorts of dark money outfits. Uh, a new venture fund is one that makes grants to dark money left wing causes. Um, you know, the goal, the goal of these these organizations is to shut up the right and uh, to unleash the liberal mobs and to make life hell for these conservative Supreme Court justice nominees. And also to make life hell for anybody who would question uh, one of the uh, liberal nominees, such as Jackson. So it is uh, out there. It uh, just Jackson's going to get uh, confirmed. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. And the, the 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 strangest thing, of course, is when she was asked what a woman was, and she couldn't come up with a straight answer. It just wasn't something that. Uh, she she could uh, she could straightforward that that'll be a smoking gun for you. I presented that the other day uh, for you, and also advised you that her uh, evasiveness about uh, uh, being on the trustees is just that. Uh, when she said, "I'm not a scientist," uh, then uh, it really is pretty dumb. Uh, if that's the case, using her logic. She couldn't uh, work on any, have any opinions about anything about highways, for example, uh, because she's not an engineer. Um, just think through that. Just think through what she said. I can't comment on what a woman is because I'm not a scientist. Well, therefore, you can't comment on anything that requires a professional. I mean, you are a Supreme Court justice uh, nominee. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. But it's not the first thing. It's not made sense. Hey, have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.